19. Genesis chapter 19, and we begin reading in verse 30. Moses, our author, writes, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. And there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father, The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ammai. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. A few Sunday mornings ago, I told you all about a film called A Call to Spy. And you remember I told you it tells some of the stories of women who were sent to Nazi-occupied France as spies. And the film opens with an intense scene. One of the spies is arrested by the Nazis and led into a room where there is just a, a bucket of water in the middle. She's forced to kneel and she's asked, what is your name? She provides the name she'd given before, and so they force her head under the water. Only later, however, do we discover that it was all a test. Unbeknown to the women, the soldiers weren't Nazis, they were British. And they had no intention of killing her, they just needed to know that if ever she were in a position or a situation like that, she could be trusted with Britain's secrets. See, fear has a way of exposing things, doesn't it? One of the first things that fear exposes is what or who we really trust And what I mean by that is we can gather on a Sunday night and we can belt out a really good hymn or two or three. But when we're faced with trials and temptations, when we're faced with dangers and toils and snares, our souls run to the thing or to the person that we trust the most. Friend, if you want to know what you trust the most, just wait until the next time you're afraid. 
Wait for the next time that you are facing something that you can't control. And where you turn in that moment will tell you where your trust really lives, who you really believe in. Last Sunday night, we looked at one of the most sobering passages of the Bible. We looked on as the original city of destruction was annihilated by God. It was destroyed and the smoke rose up to heaven. God rained down fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it should come as no surprise to us that the very next passage tells us that Lot and his daughters who'd escaped from the city of Sodom are afraid. But instead of running to God, our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of need, they run elsewhere and the consequences are disastrous. The point of our passage tonight is this, fear tempts failure. Fear tempts failure. Now my guess is we all want stronger faith, don't we? My guess is none of us are content where we are in our faith. And sometimes we look at others in the church or others in our life and we think, I would so love to be that firm. I would so love to be that resolute, that calm in times of trouble. And we have so much empathy, don't we, for that father who brought his little boy to Jesus And said to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, oh, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water, destroying. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of the boy, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. I believe. Help my unbelief. Who of us tonight haven't been there? Who of us have never felt like that and prayed like that? Well, my hope for this message is that by seeing what not to do and where not to go when we're afraid, we would have that fresh resolve to go To God himself, the way maker, the Lord of heaven, the storm stiller, the demon crusher, the death killer, the sin eraser. If you're going to trust anyone, trust him. 
If you're going to trust your life and your future and your death and your eternity to anyone, entrust it to him. And so tonight, I want us to see, first of all, the fear in Lot's family. Just look with me again, only a few verses. Just look at verse 30 to 32. It says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. Why was Lot afraid in Zoar? We don't know. Some speculate that Lot was afraid because he didn't believe the words that the angels had promised him as they were fleeing from Sodom. As they were running, you remember Lot begged the angels that he could take refuge in Zoar because he was afraid the disaster falling on Sodom would overtake him. And they said, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken, Zoar. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. And some believe that Lot was doubting their word. But it might just have been that Lot was too close to Sodom for comfort. What a view uh, an ash heap would have made from your bedroom window. Maybe he was just afraid of his new neighbors. They looked at him and thought, well, this man lived in Sodom and Sodom and Gomorrah were decimated. What is God going to do to us? We don't know. But what about Lot's daughters? Well, in their case, we, we do know. We do know why they were afraid. They were afraid of childlessness, weren't they? And the family line ending with them. Their fiancés had died in Sodom. And no fiancés meant no husbands. And no husbands meant no children. And no children meant no income. And so they sought a solution where? Well, they sought a solution in sin. Friends, our feet will carry us somewhere when we're afraid. Fear will drive you. Fear will drive us to the place that we believe we will find a shelter and a refuge and a solution to the problem that is in our path. Remember, it was fear, wasn't it, that led Lot to offer his daughters to the inhabitants of Sodom. It was fear that drove Lot to this cave. It was fear that drove Lot's daughters to commit the sin that we read about in this passage. Why? Because fear pushes us to the one or to the place or to the thing where we believe a solution will be found. Some will run today to food. Some will run to alcohol. Some will run to the numb, uh, brain-numbing effects of social media. Some will run to fun or to money or to work. And on and on the options go. And we'll think about the train crash that will inevitably ensue if we run to sin. But friends, right here and right now, I want to commend to you the real fortress. And the firm foundation. And the safest place that any soul can flee to. And it is in the shadow of God's wings. It is in the rod and the staff that comfort the sheep of Jesus' flock. Friend, let your fear carry you to Him. Let your fear propel you to His side. 
And let the winds of fear blow your sails all the way to the throne of grace and drive you to your knees. Why? Because Jesus is our shelter. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior in a time of need. Jesus is our refuge and our help. There's no trial that can befall him. There is no difficulty that can cause him to fail. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. And that when fears arise because of money, oh friend, you run to Jesus and you hear him say, consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Maybe when you're excluded at work. And you're afraid. You can't celebrate what everyone else is celebrating. And you're anxious. And you're nervous about it. You run to Jesus. And he says to you. Speaking into your ear, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad in that day for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or when you're facing death itself, you let the fear of death blow your sails to the word of God and he says this to you, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Friends, let your fear drive you to him. We've got a a better refuge than a cave. We've got a better refuge than sin. We've got a savior from sin. I remember hearing a story that a preacher told about the time that he and his wife moved to Germany. No one gets beaten up in this story. Don't worry about it. But all his classes were in German. And he was trying to learn the language while doing a PhD. And riding his bike along the Isar River every day, he would say to himself over and over again, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the fears were relieved. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? And friends, can I give you one piece of crucial advice? Run to Jesus before you're afraid so that you'll know the way to Jesus when you're afraid. I say that again, run to Jesus before you're afraid so that you'll know the way to Jesus when 
you're afraid. Isn't this what Jesus was saying when he said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Did you see that? Did you notice the wise man began to build before the rain was falling? I know how many Christians today, maybe some of you, they try to build their house when the rain is falling. But friend, who, who builds a house amid an earthquake? Who builds a house when the rain is falling down and the thunder is bellowing and the lightning is flashing? No, we build it before the storm so that we've got a shelter in the storm. And to those of you who are not yet believers, our friends, can I say this? Fear God today so that you won't have to fear him on the last day. Friend, if you will fear God today, believing that he is altogether aware of your failings, of your sins, of your wanderings, of your transgressions, and you let that fear drive you all the way to the cross of Calvary, where Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, then you will have nothing to fear on the last day because you will be clothed in his righteousness when he he returns. But if you're careless today, then you will fear on that day too. Friend, fear today and you will have nothing else to fear. Well, I want us to see the failure of Lot's family. Number two, the failure of Lot's family. I know none of you in this room want me to read these words again. Let's just do it. Verse 33, it says, So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, which means, by the way, seed of the father. Verse 38, the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, which means son of my kinsman. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Perhaps the heading over those verses should have been the failures of Lot's family because I counted nine of them. Where did Lot fail? Well, Lot consented to sin. That is specifically to drunkenness. The text says that Lot's daughters made him drink wine, but even though the idea was theirs, the consent was clearly his. That when he felt himself getting lightheaded, he could have just said, no more. But instead he got so hammered that his daughters could do what they did without him even knowing anything about it. And, and as if that weren't enough, the next day he didn't wake up and repent and seek the Lord's forgiveness. Instead, the dog returned to his vomit a second night. What about Lot's daughters? Where did they fall? Well, they led their dad into sin and they got him drunk. The eldest lay with her dad, which is sinful on about 10,000 different levels. Even if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're like, that's the first thing that I fully agree with in this whole service. And the eldest led the younger into sin. They, they both then led their dad into sin a second time by getting him drunk again. 
The younger slept with her dad. Where's the ninth sin? Well, the ninth sin is not in these verses. It's under these verses. Because it was faithlessness. They did not believe. And they did not trust God that he could give them what they needed. They couldn't believe that God would provide for them husbands. Or would call them to childlessness. And so their taking matters into their own hands was their vote of no confidence in God. You can't be trusted, but sin can. And how did that go for them in the end? Well, the Moabites and the Ammonites were thorns in the Israelites' eyes for generations to come. That's how it went for them. Numbers 25 says, The people of Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And it was from them that came the worship of Molech, who was worshipped by child sacrifice. And there were wars between Israel and between Moab and Israel and between the Ammonites continually. In other words, friends, disaster spanned generations because of this one sin. And some of you here tonight are able to say, I have the same story. No, not in that you would do anything like what we have in the passage tonight, but a sin that appeared to be wise in the moment has led now to 10,000 problems in your life. And you thought that it was a solution But it turned out to spawn and to give birth to a million problems. But friends, I want to say to you tonight that your sin does not override the sovereign grace of God. And how can I know that? Well, I can know that for this reason. From the Moabites came Ruth. And Ruth married Boaz. And from that couple came Obed. And from that couple, and from Obed came Jesse. And from Jesse came David. And from David's line came the Christ. And the Christ was born to save his people from their sins. And from Jesus, grace upon grace came for all who have sought refuge in the wrong places. And in him a hiding place is found. So that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. To close with a piece of counsel, can I allow, can I say this, lead your heart, do not follow your heart. See, it's true again, isn't it, that fear drives us somewhere, fear propels us to some place, fear blows our sails to the solution that we believe deep down will save us. And friends, when we feel our hearts being led in the paths of sins. The call on our lives in that moment is to lead our hearts, not to follow our hearts. In his book, Don't Follow Your Heart, John Bloom writes these words, follow your heart is a creed embraced by billions of people. It's a statement of faith in one of the great pop cultural myths of the Western world. A a gospel proclaimed in many of our stories, movies, and songs. Essentially, 
It's a belief that your heart is a compass inside of you that will direct you to your own true north if you just have the courage to follow it. It says that your heart is a true guide that will lead you to true happiness if you just have the courage to listen to it. The creed says that you are lost and your heart will save you. This creed can sound so simple and beautiful and liberating. For lost people, it's a tempting gospel to believe until you consider that your heart has sociopathic tendencies. Later he says, our hearts were never designed to be followed, but to be led. Our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. If we make our hearts gods and ask them to lead us, they will lead us to narcissistic misery and ultimately damnation. They can't save us. But what's wrong with our hearts is the heart of our problem. But if our hearts believe in God as they are designed to, then God saves us and leads our hearts to exceeding joy. Therefore, don't believe in your heart. Direct your heart to believe in God. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. John Bloom writes, fear does tempt us to failure, doesn't it? But Jesus is a better refuge than any place in the world, any sin that can be committed, any act of idolatry that we could commit. Lead your heart then to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't we...